Well, hello everyone. This is Jim Conley, the Executive Marketing Manager for Anatomy and Physiology here at McGraw-Hill Education. And once again, we have this wonderful episode of Succeed in a &P. And I'm happy to have all of you here. And like I always like to say, we have a special show today. And I am so honest on that right now. We have the best show ever because we have the one and the only Sophia Garcia from the Tarrant County Community College on the show today to talk about one of the most important topics that we have out in the world today, which is audience response or classroom response systems. You all have listened to my show last week on Poll Everywhere, and I promised you that I would get someone who has actually been using this teaching AMP on the show. So I have Sophia here. Sophia, how are you doing? I am doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, anytime. I'm actually just delighted that you're able to do this. And I'll tell you guys a quick story about Sophia. So um, I was at an event with Sophia, and we were presenting some Poll Everywhere questions to get some audience feedback from the group. And Sophia casually mentioned, oh, yeah, I've been using Poll Everywhere for a long time. I actually love it. And I have to be honest with you, um, Sophia, I never asked you if you were ever using something like this, and I'm so sorry that I didn't because I was so tickled that you were using this. Yes, yes. And for so long, and just to kind of indict myself, I've known Sophia for roughly like eight, nine years, never asked, should have, sorry about that. So that's what this show is going to be all about today is a little bit about Sophia, but then we're going to talk about Poll Everywhere and your experiences using that so we can share that with the audience, and we're going to have a lot of fun today. I'm ready. Okay, so the audience, so we can get to know you a little bit better. How long have you been teaching human anatomy and physiology, Sophia? I have been teaching human A&P for about 11 years, um, mostly as a professor at a community college, but I have also been teaching high school. I taught high school um, human A&P. I taught as an adjunct at um, a community college, and I also teach as a lecturer at a university. So in different capacities, and I run several camps as well for kids, for high school students. So I have a lot of fun with it, but about 11 years of teaching. Okay, so that's why I'm so excited, just to take a quick sidebar. Sophia, you're one of the most passionate educa educators that I've ever met. And one of the things that comes through big and bad is how passionate you are for student success. And then I know you and I have talked about these camps that you do for science for kids and just the overall passion that you bring for really advocating STEM at a young age is just remarkable. So thank you for doing that. Of course. It's really good. Now, so on the other side, when you look at teaching just in general, whether it's anatomy and physiology or just the, the uh, profession of teaching, what excites you the most about teaching? Well, I'd say overall, it's helping students reach their goal of a college education. Most of the students I teach are the first in their families to attend college. And so they carry that, that burden, they carry it for themselves, but they, they have the opportunity to change the trajectory, not just for themselves and not just for their families, but for their future generations. And I always tell them on the first day of class that how much um, I admire them for for taking on that responsibility and for being that person in their families and in their circles that are going to be able to be the role model for what it means to have a college education. And they're, they're changing it for future generations, and that's so inspiring to me. And I'm, I'm very excited to be a part of that. 
right there is exactly why I got into education and why it's such an honor to work with folks like yourself. You guys amplify that in such a big way, and I know you individually do that, and I'm just thankful that you do that. And I'm kind of putting myself in the shoes of your student, and when I hear you say that to me, I almost feel like I get this warm fuzzy, but I feel an obligation to be successful, and I think that's why exactly it works in your setting, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And really kind of just passing it along. Like you said, you're breaking the circle. If you have a first-generation college student and they actually go on and become successful, then that's a, a lagging indicator for what the future might be where, you know, their kids will go to college and, and on and on and on, which is awesome. Right, right, and, and and they get to be a part of that. So while I know they're very stressed about being in school, I try to keep their eyes on the prize and give them some motivation about, yes, it's hard, but you're going to have this amazing story, and you're going to be that one that changed it for your family and for the future generations in your community. It's amazing. Love it. So let's talk about Poll Everywhere. What initially got you started on Poll Everywhere? So I was trying to think back to when I started using it or why or how. I don't think it was any formal um, event or presentation on Poll Everywhere specifically. I think I was at a conference or a seminar and I just mentioned that I wish I had a way to survey students during class electronically where it could be sort of anonymous because sometimes my students are really shy about asking questions. You know, they don't want to feel, they feel intimidated. You know, they don't want to ask questions in front of their peers. And so I thought if I had a way to do that, um, poll, poll students, anonymously that they would be more likely to participate. And somebody just casually mentioned to me about Poll Everywhere and I immediately started looking it up and um, I was very impressed and I decided that I could use this resource and start implementing it. I love it. And how long have you been using it, Sophia? Probably for about five years. Oh, that's great. And I just did a show last week where I talked about, you know, I was one of the first adopters here at McGraw-Hill. Mm -hmm. Now we have this uh, partnership with them. So I, like yourself, am a big fan. And the part of it that I like the most is it does a good job of automating that response, but then it also kind of eliminates that barrier of if I'm a shy person or if I don't want to share my results or if I'm intimidated, you can really cut to the chase very fast. Right. Okay, so now in terms of your teaching, how does Poll Everywhere help you teach better? Well, for me, it just really gives me that just-in-time feedback from students. So I can go over a concept and then give them a, a, just a question or two over the concept and get feedback from them whether or not they understood it. And so um, I will review not only the correct answers, but I'll also review the incorrect answers. Um, that way I can kind of help students change their ideas of, of why they were thinking something. And I'll, I'll usually tell them, well, I can understand why you might choose this, because this word makes you think of this. But actually, and so then I can go and start uh, shifting their frame of thinking a little bit. And so it gives me that real just-in-time teaching that, that's very um, important so that you don't move on with students not understanding some foundational concepts. Awesome. Now, is there a feature or an aspect of Paul Everary that you love the most? Okay, so I use it in a couple different ways. One is that just-in-time feedback way with um, maybe regular multiple choice questions. But um, there's a couple features that are old and a couple features that are new that I really like using. And one is to upload a picture and have students place a dropper on, a on an anatomical feature. So I can ask them where is the axillary region, for example, and they can place little droppers 
on a picture that I've uploaded for them. So they'll see it on the picture on their phone or on their computer, and they can just click on the area. And that's just a lot of fun um, because it's a, it's a different way. Students aren't used to doing that um, on normal, you know, multiple choice questions electronically. So I think that's a lot of fun. Um, I use it as practice quizzes as well. And um, one university that I teach at, the students have practical quizzes at the end of each lab, and they're very nervous about it. They get so nervous. And so I started doing practice quizzes where I will upload a picture of, say, a histology picture, and I'll um, have the students type in because they have to write out on their practical quiz the answer of a tissue name. And so they practice typing it out, and we can go over um, questions that they didn't realize, like, oh, okay, I didn't realize I should have put right and left on something, or I didn't realize that I need to write connective tissue at the end of that um, answer. And so it really helps to clear up the um, questions they might have before they go into a quiz. And it also calms them down a little bit because they go, oh, okay, these are the types of questions Dr. Garcia is going to ask, so they don't feel as intimidated. And I ask them how they like the quizzes, and they, they've come to expect them. They, they love them. They want to take their practice quiz and pull everywhere before they go into their actual um, quiz. I uh, love uh, that. Mm -hmm. And I love how you talked about it calms them down. Yes. Because, yeah, you know, they're very good Go students. They're very good students. They, they work really hard, but with that comes a lot of anxiety. And so a lot of my teaching techniques try to come in to lower their anxiety. And I think when you give students questions and the opportunity to practice answering questions, they, it raises their confidence and they feel less anxious about it. I love that part of it. And then, too, when you were talking, you mentioned how, you know, the clicking on the area with the axillary features, how that turns that whole scenario into being fun. Yes, yes. It's different. It, it mixes it up a little bit. Um, there's a new feature, and I'm still kind of new to it as well, where students can put in a name. So it can either be a pseudo name if you're just maybe playing in a competition setting for some reason, which I, I'm not sure why you would do that, but you could do it if you wanted to. The other thing is you could have your students put in their actual name, and then they, you can keep track of their, either their answers. So this is kind of new to pull everywhere, so I'm still getting used to it myself. Keep track of their answers, or even something like attendance. You could use it to take attendance, something as simple as that. That's one of the more popular things I've heard over and over again is that it's good for the attendance feature. Mm -hmm. It save a lot of time in terms of, you know, linking that to your learning management system, just taking a lot of that work out of it for you. Right. Okay, so if you were going to give me or someone a tip, and I'm a brand new user for Poll Everywhere, or I'm just considering it, and you were to give me that one tip to help me get started, what would that be? So technology is wonderful, right, when it works. <laughs> um, so the key thing here is to play around with it. Uh, get some friends or some family members to be your audience so that you can better understand it before you use it with your students. Because there's going to be those little things that your students are going to say, oh, where, how do I click this? Or um, my screen isn't showing the whole picture. And I have another student tell them once, oh, you just have to flip your phone landscape and it works, right? But those little things that um, you might not think of would come up as an issue. Uh, if you practice it with some friends or some family members beforehand, you'll be better prepared to anticipate the questions that your students might have or to help them troubleshoot along the way. And so my my family, uh, they're used to being my guinea pigs anytime I'm, I'm doing a new presentation with Poll Everywhere. 
Solid advice, Sophia. I've actually experienced that myself where I've either done that well or the, recently there were a few times where I hadn't been in my poll everywhere account for a while. So I went in to go do a poll. I was thinking, geez, I've done this so many times. And then I actually deployed my questions and it wasn't working as well. And you know, it just made me sweat a little bit more than I needed to. So I should have taken your advice or should have talked to you before. That would have been really helpful. Right, and I think um, I think that's true. You think you know, oh, I use it, I use it, I use it often, and then you don't realize there's something new that came up with it. So pretty much before every presentation, I, I go through it with some practice questions for myself and my family to answer. That's great. Okay, now let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, this will be kind of fun for you. I like to do this on the show often. Um, if I were hired as an adjunct, either at your college or at a local community college, and I'm going to be teaching AMP for the first time, what advice would you give me? Um, so I'm also department chair, so I have lots of advice for new adjuncts especially, but um, a couple of main things is, one, know your syllabus and stick with it. Um, I think a lot of new adjuncts, they feel pressure to change things in their syllabus and then it turns into a nightmare um, because then you get students that say, well, you said this, but now you did this and you did this for that person and now you have to do it for me. And it has a trickling effect. And so I really um, stress time management with my new adjuncts. Um, another. Another piece of advice is answer student emails in a timely manner. Um, if you are having a positive attitude and you are helping students, they will have very little to complain about you when they, if they come to me to complain because they, you are answering their questions to the best of your ability and you're being prompt about it. A lot of the complaints I get are about, my teacher didn't answer my question or didn't answer my email. Um, so those are two major things. And then lastly, shadow your peers. Ask if you can sit into someone's class, especially someone that you know has been teaching a while or has really good feedback from students or that the department chair or course lead might suggest that you shadow. Don't be afraid to sit in and, and take some notes. And, and if you can, meet with that person afterwards and, and share some of your questions or, um, or even or even um, ideas that you might have about how they can prove as well. So you have that back and forth community with your peers. Great advice. Now, do you have something, I know we all, when we get into teaching, there are ideas that we want to incorporate in the classroom, and do you have something that might have been like really well intended, but when you actually you know, did it, it just didn't work out very well? Um, that you'd be willing to share anyway. Right. I think most of the times when I feel that way, it's where where I did a lecture, maybe like a true lecture, and I was like, oh, like my words just didn't, it just didn't flow well. Um, I don't feel like I did a good job there. But thinking more of an activity, because I like to incorporate lots of activities and it's through trial and error. Um, I had this really, what I thought was a fun thing that we did was doing an interpretive dance of endocytosis and exocytosis. And I had a group of 48 students, and we would go out into the, there was a common space area that we would have, and I would divide them up into two groups, so about 24 students in each group. And um, really trying to reiterate the creation of a pseudopod and how the plasma membrane makes that, because students had a really hard time understanding that, and then how the vesicles refuse with the membrane to diffuse um, or exocytize um, substances out. 
but it was the space that was an issue more than the activity. Um, now there's furniture in the space that I used to take them to. And so logistically, it just wasn't working out very well. And then sometimes with the big groups, the students, certain students would understand the concepts, but others were a little more far removed. So it just, there was some logistics. It just didn't work out with it very well. And so I kind of stopped doing that activity. <laughs> that sounds like a fun one, though. Like when it works, it sounded like that'd be a blast to participate in. Yes, it was a lot of fun. And we even had a little competition going on about which uh, group did it the best. So another instructor would come in and watch them perform and, uh, and, do the, and decide who did the best job of showing the concept. So it was fun, but now I don't have the space anymore to do it, so. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, in some ways, it's kind of a shame that the, the space requirements, you know, but that's definitely a real reality for everybody is that's the name of the game today, especially with AP, the surging enrollments and the way colleges are growing. It's not like the facilities are just overly abundant either. Right. Okay, so what's the best teaching strategy that you've ever used? Well, right now what I'm really liking is an activity that I do with uh, muscle physiology because in AMP1, this is one of the first times that they get into this heavy physiology when they're doing muscle physiology. And so I have what's called muscle physiology story time. And I have this huge um, dry erase board in my room and it's probably like 30 feet long. And I give students this really large piece of paper. I mean, it's probably like two feet long. And we take um, each step of muscle physiology at a time. So like say, for example, we'll do the neuromuscular junction and that will be chapter one. And then we'll take excitation contraction coupling and that will be chapter two. And then um, we will do the cross bridge cycling for chapter three. So we start off with chapter one and we draw out all of the structures and we label them and we make them nice and pretty and then we start talking about the physiological processes one at a time. And so as I'm telling the story, they are drawing arrows and creating the flow in their own diagrams. And then we stop and I say, okay, that's chapter one, that's the um, neuromuscular junction. And so now you and a partner are going to tell the story to each other. So they tell the story to each other using as many terms as you can. And then after they tell the story, they ask me questions. And I say, you, you need to come up with a question um, together. Because maybe it was something that they realized that they didn't understand because they couldn't explain it to um, their, their partner. And so what this does is a lot of times students will say, oh, I, I understood what you were saying. And so they confuse the fact that they could understand what I'm saying with they could explain it themselves. And so that really helps clarify where their questions are, and it breaks down a really long, you know, complicated physiology process into biteable chunks for them. And they give me such good feedback on this activity, so I continue to do it. They were like, oh, drawing that out and talking about it with my partner really helped me understand it. And they ask questions more in that activity than they do any other time because they they know that they are supposed to be talking and they need to be able to communicate in a certain way and they figure out what their questions are when they when they can't communicate so i just love it 
I love it too. And the parts that I think are so remarkable is how you broke it down into the chapters, which are the major events, you know, and understanding that whole concept, but then also making sure that you shift the accountability to them. And then I was just thinking through, like from their perspective, having to ask questions and really kind of navigating through and then utilizing your instructor differently, just fascinating. I think there's a lot to be learned with that and probably could be applied to a lot of other concepts too. Right, yes. You know, outside of just muscle physiology. Yes. It's great. Okay, so Sophia, for you, why is teaching anatomy and physiology or just teaching in general, why is it an honor? Well, teaching AMP is an honor because we get to teach people about their bodies and I want them to appreciate the wonderful way in which our bodies work and they keep us functioning so that they can take care of themselves and their loved ones and their community members. Um, but I tell the students, you know, we, we get so, like say we have a paper cut and we're like, oh, this little bitty paper cut is just driving me nuts, right? And, and you think about how it's just barely scratching your epidermis and we're studying something really complicated and all the processes in our body that are working. So it's just, it's amazing. You know, we can be so thrown off by one little thing that happens, but everything else in our body is functioning so well. And so I want them to appreciate the amazingness that is their body and and be able to take care of themselves better because they do understand it. And in turn, they're taking care of their family members. And in turn, they're taking care of their community members. So I, I feel so honored to teach this course because students, they are amazed by what is happening inside of them. And to just, to just see them think, oh my goodness, this is happening in me? I'm like, yes, this is happening in you. Every time you blink, every time you just sit there, every time you do anything, all of this is happening to you. And so it's, it's so much fun. What I find fascinating is when I get to talk to younger people or uh, folks that are not necessarily in our field of anatomy and physiology, and I talk about the concept of electricity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, I'll ask them questions like, do you know, do you have electricity going on in your body right now? And just that one concept, they're like, oh my goodness, there's no way I could have electricity because they always assume that electricity is bad. <laughs> right. And then, you know, of course, when you get into the heart and all those very complex things, you know, those concepts are really alive and well. So I think it's just awesome. Your answer about like, you have a body and you're going to have it for your entire life. And to really understand that obviously is important, but then important not only just in the career field that you might be potentially going into, but just to know a little bit better about why your body works the way it does. Yeah. Definitely. And what a complex machine we are too. Yep. And that's why I keep teaching it because it just, it amazes me. It still amazes me. Oh, yeah. Okay, so on that note, what's your vision for the future of teaching anatomy and physiology? Well, it's, it would be what I, what I would call a fully integrated lab and lecture experience. This has been something that I've been working on the past three years, and it really it blurs the line between lab and lecture. So I don't teach anymore what I call a quote-unquote lecture. Um, we have a combined lecture and lab experience. So students are in the lab the entire, we teach it in like three hours and 20 minutes intervals. They're in the lab the entire time. And so I might lecture on a topic for 15 minutes and then the students are gonna automatically go into an activity where they're practicing that concept. So we're seamlessly flowing back and forth between quote lecture and quote lab material. So we're really blurring that line 
and it keeps students engaged so they're in this more student-centered, active learning environment. But um, it's not necessarily 100% the flipped classroom either. Um, it's, it's sort of this in-between. And so I've been teaching it for the past three years, and I don't want to teach any other way. I really like it, and um, I hope that more instructors will embrace just the active learning environment um, and take advantage of all of the tools that are at our fingertips now, especially with technology, um, to be able to do something like that. And it's so exciting to see you know, yourself and then the rest of your staff there really innovate and think you know, very thoughtfully about the process of learning and really taking you know, some risks in some ways. I know a lot of our audience sometimes might be thinking about, well, I could teach differently, but that might come at a risk. But I know you all have talked about, and you in particular, the great gains that you're getting and really kind of pushing the envelope and then really teaching that integrated lecture and lab together. So kudos to you and the rest of your team there. Thank you. And thanks for doing what you do. So, Sophia, I know we're kind of getting hot on time. Um, if our audience wants to reach you, would you rather them send me an email, or do you want to leave them your contact information, your email address? Uh, we can handle it either way. Sure, I can leave my email. My email is Sophia with a P-H period Garcia, G-A-R-C-I-A, at tccd.edu. Awesome. So if you have a question on this episode or any of the concepts that um, Sophia talked about or teaching strategies, feel free to uh, reach out to Sophia directly. Also, as I like to say on every single one of these podcasts, if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or um, Boy, Spotify, my brain's losing it today. On uh, Spotify, we were just recently listed on Spotify. Feel free to rate us on any one of those platforms. And also, if you have suggestions for future episodes, uh, please send those in to me. My email address is james.connely at mheducation. I want to thank Sophia Garcia for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Lots of fun. And if you have any um, similar similar um, products that you like better than Pull Everywhere, I'd love to know about them as well. Absolutely, and that goes for um, Sophia. Send those to Sophia, myself as well. If you have any other products, we'd love to hear about those. And then, uh, Sophia, I'd love to have you back on the show to talk about some of these other concepts because there was literally so much you were talking about on this episode that I'm, like, feverishly writing notes. So hopefully you'll come back on the show. Of course be a lot of fun. I think, uh, well, I'll, I'll reach out to you offline. I have one idea in particular that I think is just going to be amazing. But I just want to thank you for being on the show. And audience, thank you guys for listening. As I like to end on the Succeed in AMP podcast, I want to wish you all a happy day. Hope you have a great time. And then we'll see you in about a week on the next show. So this is the Succeed in AMP. I'm Jim Conley. Jim Conley, geez, signing off for today. Hope you have a great day. And thanks, Sophia. Thank you.